Welcome to Grafted, Jewish Roots of Christianity. I am Stephanie Pavlantos, your host, and with me today I have Devorah Kalik. So just to give you a little bit of introduction, and you can find out more if you go back to the first podcast back in Season 1, Episode 3, she and her husband had been living in Israel. So when I first spoke to her then, she was in Israel, but now they are in California with uh, her parents. She is the co-founder, along with her husband, Daniel, of Bless Israel Network, and that is at blessisraelnetwork.com. And she writes and hosts a show called Heartbeat of the Torah. And this program connects the Torah with the New Testament. She has a lot of knowledge, a lot of understanding. She explains things so well. And I'm excited to have her on here once again. So thank you for taking time out of your day to be with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I always love talking with you and batting around ideas and um, and then knowing it's going to be shared with others, um, which is really part of our mission is to, to let the Gentiles know how valuable they are. Their role is just as important as the Jewish people's role in terms of bringing the final redemption. And that's my passion is to help them know and understand about their role and how to help them come into the Jewish roots. So I I appreciate you having me back again, Stephanie. Thank you. There's a page on Facebook called Gift of Thorns, and she writes for it every Friday. She gives the Torah portion or the Parsha, right? Am I saying that correctly? Yes, that's correct. She gives that a lot of information, a lot of good stuff, and you will learn. You will learn something as you read that. So if you can go and find Gift of Thorns Facebook group page, you'll be blessed with her writings every Friday. So today we have been batting around some different topics and we already already decided we might need a third episode. <laughs> As we were going over this, it was like there were so many things that the book of Ephesians talks about and and Paul talks about. And, and it was just interesting because one of the main things I think that we came to the conclusion of and that I have often asked people and I've often thought about, how do we provoke the Jewish people to zealousness or, or jealousness is, um, I guess it can be used interchangeably. So I think that that is like a been a big question for me. And I've even had answers like, well, by following Jesus. And I'm like, um, they don't believe Jesus is a Messiah. So how would that provoke them to jealousy? And we're talking about provoking them as Gentiles to want to be like us. But there are some problems with that. And you were going to kind of unpack some of those things yeah. for us. So. Yeah. Yes. Um, so just let me clarify something. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm not in California, though. That's where I was. Born. Oh, sorry. And that's OK. I'm in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is where my parents live now. So, OK, um, very close to Texas, very close okay. to El Paso, Texas. Well, you're far from me and you're warmer than me. I know. And, you know, I would love to come to your state. And I have a friend who lives in Ohio, too. So I know it's a beautiful state. So, OK, so. um So this is a great question, Stephanie. And honestly, until I started getting involved in the Jewish roots, I had no idea what that meant. I thought it also meant, well, by believing in Jesus and by following him. 
And then I realized, well, there's a problem there, like you pointed out, because they think it's impossible for Jesus to be the Jewish Messiah. And we're going to get into that. So the place that Paul or Rabbi Shaul, as I call him and most um, Messianics call him, said this is in Romans 11 verses 11 to 14. And I'd like to read that. So he writes, so I ask, did they, speaking of the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, their sin, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion or fullness mean? Speaking about the fullness of the Gentiles. Then he goes on, he says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle or a shaliach in Hebrew, a, a sent one to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. I lift up my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So whatever this is, Rabbi Shaul says that this will end up causing the salvation of Israel, of the Jewish people. Now, of course, we know it's not going to be all the Jewish people, just like it's not going to be all the Gentiles, but that opportunity is open to all. So what does he mean by jealous? That's like crazy, you know? Well, the Hebrew word is kana, and it does mean, as you pointed out, it means both jealous, and zealous. So here's the definition in the Hebrew lexicon. It means to envy, be jealous, be envious, be zealous. And the idea here in Jewish thought is that it's a jealousy that provokes someone to want back something that was once his or hers, but that somehow was lost. It's more than interesting that the root kana for jealous or zealous is also the root for purchase, to purchase, to buy. Very, very interesting. Not that I know all of the connection with that because I'm not a native Hebrew speaker, but I'm learning. So, but the idea here is that the Jew would be so jealous that he would want to get it back, buy it back, if you will, for the from the Gentile, not literally buy it back. That It doesn't mean that. It's an idea here that the Jew sees the Gentile doing something that belongs to him or to the Jewish people. Believing in Messiah, we sometimes forget if we are Christian and not Jewish, is a Jewish thing, keeping the Sabbath. And the feasts are Jewish things. So this is the idea that when a Jew sees Gentiles doing things that which have traditionally or, you know, typically belonged uniquely, I should say, belong to the Jewish people, it makes him or her jealous. Or a better way to say it is probably zealous at that point. 
And what we want as Gentiles is when the, the Jewish people see us doing those Jewish things, the Torah, you know, uh, living out the commandments, it should make the Jew want those things back in their own life. So that's the idea that's being promoted here and probably even more. Again, I'm not a native Hebrew speaker and I don't know all the Jewish writings. I mean, I always, you know, show my little finger and my thumb together and it's like an eighth of an inch about how much I know, you know, not, it's not much compared to what there is to know, but I'm beginning and having lived with the Jewish people and seeing this happen in action with my own life and the life of some of my friends who live there, who are married to Jews, who are also Gentile, it, I began to get the idea. So another parallel, if I could bring this in, it's interesting that in the story of Joseph, the brothers were jealous of him. This is in uh, Genesis 37, 11. It's the same word. They wanted what he had in terms of the favor of their father, Jacob. And later, when Joseph became second only to Pharaoh, he wasn't recognized by his brothers because he was dressed in Egyptian clothing, right? He would, he spoke the Egyptian language. He, in every way, he appeared to be an Egyptian. Well, this story, though it really happened, it's a literal real life story, is also a metaphor or a picture of what has happened to Yeshua. It's a picture because of what Christianity did. They dressed him in different mm -hmm. clothing that makes him, so to speak, look like a Gentile. Jesus of Christianity, the Jesus of Christianity. And it's okay to use Jesus instead of Yeshua. I just call him by his Hebrew name because that's what Mary, Miriam would have called him. But anyway, um, the Jesus of Christianity doesn't look Jewish to the Jewish people, and they're right. So we say metaphorically or euphemistically that Yeshua, Jesus, Yeshua has to be dressed once again, so to speak, in Jewish clothing. He's got to be, and you've said this many times, he's got to be put back into a Jewish context. Well, how do we do that? How do we redress him? What kind of clothing do we, what does that mean? Put different clothing on him, put Jewish clothing on him. Well, if I could explain that from another story, it's the story of Moses' brother, Aaron, or we say Aharon in Hebrew, but Aaron. And he was the very first high priest. We all know that. And he's also the very first messianic figure in the Torah. And so there are two places that tell the deep, more detail of the story that kind of helps you get the idea. One is Exodus 28, and the other is Leviticus 8. Exodus 28 is about the clothing that Aaron would be wearing and that, the, that would have to be made. And Leviticus 8 is about his uh, initiation, his... Um, uh, we call it Milui mm -hmm. in Hebrew, his initiation into the priesthood. So these stories have a lot to teach us in terms of understanding about how, instructing us how to redress Yeshua into Jewish clothing. 
And it tells us also how to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy or to zealousness. So, and let me just say something here, because it's it's good. I mean, and I know that the stuff you're going to share, you know, will probably, hopefully, it'll open our mind. And and I think that the best thing to do is keep an open mind and open heart and let the Holy Spirit, and as you say, the spirit of holiness, because I just love that. So the spirit of holiness, um, just speak to us. You know, when, when someone is, is especially a teacher, we have to use discernment, but, but sometimes we are very quick to reject because it doesn't sound like our pastor or it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like the Sunday school stories we grew up with. And so, Throughout my journey in this, there were things that challenged me and I had to keep my ears and eyes open to where God was moving and what God was doing and what God was showing me. And so I just want to encourage anybody who's listening to always do that. Nobody knows it all. And our pastors don't walk on water. Absolutely. Church has been good. I I grew up in the church. I've loved the church. I loved the families. I've loved the communion. I've loved it all. But but the Lord is calling us to understand a deeper level of what his word says. And and, and this is exactly where you go. You you draw these parallels between, and that's a very Jewish thing that we don't get the benefit of in a church sermon. Because we don't have often, now I'm not saying there aren't pastors out there who do this, but the majority of my life, I didn't hear it. Um, But draw these parallels between Moses and the Messiah, um, David and the Messiah, Joseph and the Messiah, Aaron and the Messiah. If you think of it that way, then you see Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. (laughs) We see him everywhere. So when you understand all the parallels, then boom, light bulbs start popping on. And now I get it. I get more. I start understanding. And so that's just what I wanted to say, because I think it's so important that you see the parallels and that they start making sense. So Mm -hmm. thank you. But go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, and I just want to echo that and that it takes time to for people to feel comfortable with these new ways of explaining things, these new understandings. It took me a while, and I've been in this movement for almost 16 years now. And um, and and even when I, to this day, even when I get exposed to something brand new that I've never heard before, I have to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have to go look that up, or I have to check that out more, have to get look at the Hebrew or whatever. So anyway, I totally understand and I validate um, what you're encouraging. It's easy to get offended yes, yeah, by truth yeah, and start thinking, no, I wasn't taught mm-hmm. that. But again, we have to go back to what God says is truth, not our yeah. traditions. Exactly. And we get, and, and no different than the Jewish people. We get mm-hmm. caught up in our mm-hmm. traditions and the Jewish people are so caught up. They can't see the Messiah in all of that. But, and we start losing the Jewishness of our faith because yeah. we get caught up in traditions and we push away mm-hmm. everything that doesn't, that sounds Jewish. So I just think that's important for us to yes. understand. I agree. Okay. So back to Aaron, the high priest. So I think it's important to say first, in case people don't know, I'm sure some, you know, do. 
Um, but there are basically three offices in the scripture or three positions, if you will, that are called anointed one, someone who's anointed. And they're anointed with oil. And I'll explain that a little bit in a minute. The high priest, the prophet, and the king. The Hebrew word for Messiah is Mashiach. That's, um, I know that's, that's, you know, there's some sounds in there that we don't have in English. It's very guttural. Mashiach. And this comes from the special oil that was used to anoint the men that were in these positions. The word mashach is the verb root of Mashiach, which means anointed. Mashiach means anointed one. So I'll say Messiah probably most of the time if I say it again, because I know it's hard to get used to the Hebrew, but I just thought it was important to explain that. Now in Exodus 28, we have this description, this wonderful description of the garments which are to be made for the high priest. And they are called kadosh, holy. And they are also described instant, uh, interestingly by God himself as for kavod and tiferet, meaning those words mean glory. Kavod means glory or heaviness and Beauty, tiferet is beauty. We don't always have exact English translations for Hebrew words. They're so rich. But but Exodus 28 tells how these garments are to be made. Right. Here's the interesting question. Who makes these garments? Well, we learn in Exodus 28 that it is the people, the people of Israel who are commanded to make them. In 28, in Exodus 28, 3, it says this. You shall speak to all who are wise hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom and that they may make Aaron's garments. Now, when the Torah continues with the instructions in uh, chapter 28, verses four to six, it uses the uh, verb asa to make, which is to make. And it's in it's called it's yasu. It says yasu. They shall make. And this is plural. They shall make. Doesn't say you, Moses, make or some person shall make. He shall make. It says, it says they. That means the people. So this is very interesting. And then it goes on to say in verse three, you shall speak to all who are wise hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments. Now, we know from another Torah portion that Bezalel and his assistant Aholiav were the ones designated to lead everything to do with building the temple. But they had to have people who were wise-hearted and who were filled with the spirit of God, with the spirit of wisdom, who, who did the actual work. So then in Leviticus 8, we have, as I said, the inauguration of the high priest. It's um, Milui in Hebrew. And Moses calls at that point all the congregation of Israel together. And they dress Aaron, uh, Moses in, in, in uh, representing all the people. Because, um, of course, they couldn't have, you know, 
5 million people down there <laughs> trying to dress him. But so Moses is representing the people, dresses Aaron and anoints him and inaugurates him to represent the people in the sacrificial system of the temple. The Torah is clear. It's the Jewish people who had to dress the high priest. And by doing so, they recognized and declared and gave him the authority to be the high priest. So this is, of course, the literal understanding. And this was about Aaron, okay, in the literal, in the, in the story. It's a real story. We call this literal interpretation the Peshat, the simple, literal, historical, mm -hmm. contextual meaning. But guess what? We all know this. There's deeper meanings in the, in the Bible. We can sort of see clues about them in different places, and we can learn about that. And so at a deeper level, a deeper understanding, this entire story about Aaron's garments and his inauguration and high priest is a metaphor. It's a picture of what has to be done for the Messiah of Israel. Kavod and Tiferet, word which we typically translate as glory and beauty, are actually descriptions that God uses of himself. Beautiful, huh? This is another hint to us about God being king, of course, the ultimate king of Israel, and that he sent the Messiah to the earth to be his king on the earth. So what does all this have to do with putting Yeshua back into his Jewish context and into Jewish garments? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> when the person that most of us call Jesus looks like the Jewish Messiah wearing the proper clothing, which is kavod and tiferet, the Jewish people will recognize him and declare him and give him the authority to be their Messiah. In a practical sense, what does this mean for us? What do we need to do to make this happen? What does this have to do with provoking the Jewish people to zealousness or jealousy? Well, when you and I represent Yeshua, putting him back into a Jewish context by doing Jewish things, the Jewish people We'll take another look at him. And in fact, this is happening very slowly because so many Gentiles are returning to the Jewish roots, loving, learning and loving the Torah, practicing the commandments, doing the Jewish feasts, etc. There's so much richness in doing and understanding. And I heard somebody say, it's okay to talk about Passover in church. Yeah. It's okay to talk about Rosh Hashanah, but, but there's no doing it. You, you know, we're, everybody's comfortable if we just talk about it mm -hmm. and give these Hebrew words here and there. But, um, mm -hmm. you start saying to do these things. Now we get kind of defended. And I, I thought, well, that's so true because, right. you know, even in my own life, the Lord was, has been like, you have heard this, Stephanie. You have been taught. I have put people into your life to teach you this. I have put people in your mm -hmm. life to tell you 
all of these things. I have put all these resources around you and you have read them and you have soaked them up. When are you going to do it? And that was a challenge. It was like, oh, you're right. I need to start because that's how we, that's how we live out our faith, right? We do. And um, it's not to do for our faith, Mm -hmm. but because of our faith. These are Lord's feasts. This is the Lord's Shabbat. This is not Mm -hmm. a Jewish Shabbat or their Jewish holidays, but they're not Jewish feasts. They're the Lord's. Yes, you're right. And they were given to the Jewish people to preserve and protect, to guard, to safeguard so that they could teach Mm -hmm. the nations, the Gentiles. That's right. And teach everyone else. And sadly, in the culture, they, because of all the persecution and the anti-Semitism, they even forgot they were supposed to be teaching the nations. It's actually one of the reasons that God, though it was for primarily disobedience, but that God sent them out of the land. His Mm -hmm. plan was, well, okay, they won't do it here and they're not obeying me here. So maybe out there they'll return to my Torah and then they'll go tell the nations about me and about my Messiah. I mean, that was the whole idea, you know, behind it. And even every Christmas we see sometimes even like, you know, these baby Jesus that is blonde hair, blue eyed. We not only put him in different clothes, but we give him different skin. We give him a different ethnicity. And, mm-hmm. yes. and yes, and is it any wonder that yes. the Jewish people don't recognize him as the Messiah? Of course they don't. Yeah, it's no wonder at all. But it took me a long time to completely understand this. Um, I think, you know, I've been with Rabbi Itzhak Shapira and uh, Yeshivat Shuvu, which he started in 2014. I joined in 2015. And my, of course, Rabbi Shapira is very generous with his teachings. And you can, you can watch him anywhere on YouTube or on his Facebook. He teaches these concepts over and over. And now he's written a wonderful book that really helps people to understand, you know, his first, first book was really geared toward the Jews. It was very complicated. It's full of Jewish thought and uh, the Jewish writings. And, and, but, um, and the second book was even a little more, less complicated than the first one, but still tough for people who don't know any of these concepts. Now he's written a book called The Rivka Remnant. And he hmm. takes, he explains a lot about very um, simply Jewish thought explains about the sages and then he takes the story of Rebecca and Isaac and shows how Rebecca left the idolatry of her home and the practices to marry Isaac and turns it into a beautiful story as an example to what the Gentiles need to do. I highly recommend the book. Some of the ideas may be new, but it's a great way to get started. And then if anybody's interested in mm-hmm. learning how to get become a part of uh, Shuvu, Yeshiva Shuvu, they can contact me. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, it's, it's a very, the first year, of course, you don't have to take a year to do it, but the first year is very, is taught by a Christian pastor who 
practices Messianic Judaism. His name is Pastor Matt McEwen, and he's still a pastor in a Christian church. And he explains things so easily and transitionally Mm -hmm. for Christians who are new to try to understand in a, in a give a very solid foundation. And, you know, even though we hear these things, you know, we need to hear them repeatedly. Didn't you find that was true, Stephanie, that you had to, it's like hard to wrap our minds around this when we've been taught a certain way, but the repetition. And if you, and if, as you said, if people will just open their minds, ask God to help them, ask the spirit of holiness to reveal that that's what we say, the Ruach HaKodesh, you guys usually say the Holy Spirit, but it actually means the, the spirit of holiness. It helps to, to get it. It just takes time and repetition. And I can tell you after being in this movement for almost 16 years, I am more in love with God. I am more in love with Yeshua or who many of you call Jesus. And by the way, don't anybody let you tell you there's anything wrong with calling him Jesus. I get frustrated with things like that. But And I'm more in love with my fellow man than I ever have been. This movement has made me draw closer to God and to Yeshua and to people. It has not pushed me away. Right. I agree. It hasn't made me legalistic. Mm-mm, it hasn't. Nope, me either. Oh, even I had a family member like, so what? You're going into Judaism? And it's like, no, I'm following God's Torah. I, his instruction. I am following his instructions. And, and I just purchased a book and I, I haven't actually received it yet, but it's called the, the ways of the way. And it goes back to the time that they were beginning Mm. this whole movement of bringing in the Gentiles and teaching them the messianic ways, the ways of Jesus. Um, And that's the most accurate way we see. And you said this, but the Messiah has to be like Moses, right? He has to be like Moses because they don't recognize him because that's how he was promised in Deuteronomy 18. Yes. A prophet like yes. you, you know, God told Moses, I will raise up a prophet like you from among your brothers. And then in John, I believe it's John 5, but I could be wrong if I, I have to look it up to make sure I remember. But he says, you actually said it um, to me earlier, but you know, if you believe Moses, then you have to believe me because he spoke of me. And this is what we keep separating. And, and I love the analogy that you have put together there. And there's, and I know there's so much more and we've only hit the top of the iceberg, but, but when we dress him mm-hmm. in Gentile yeah. clothing, the Jews do not recognize him. We need to stop dressing him in Gentile clothing and act as though he did away with his own father's instructions because he didn't. He couldn't be the Messiah if he did. No. And if he didn't obey the Torah, if he didn't Mm -hmm. live and do, he is the son of heaven. I mean, he's. He's the bread of heaven. I know he's the ultimate son of Israel. The perfect, uh, you know, Jacob and all his sons, the sons of Israel, right? And the Jewish people are also called son of Israel. But Messiah is the ultimate one because. And from the tribe of Judah. 
I mean, how Jewish yes, is right, all of exactly. this? He kept the Passover. Yeah, he kept Jewish. each of the Lord's feasts. He kept Shabbat. You know, but we've changed so many yes. things because what? Because uh, basically a Roman emperor said, we're going to make changes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't right. Jesus who made the changes. Yes. It wasn't mm-hmm. his disciples no, that no, made the changes. No. It was the Gentiles that made the no. changes. And and we have to understand yes, that. And exactly. it's not to say that, oh, you know, you don't follow this. You're going to help. Absolutely not. Jesus loves mm-hmm us he loves that we put him first we love he loves that we worship him whether we are in a synagogue a congregation or a church setting he loves us and we are his he died to provide that so he is the way the truth and life we can't get around any of that we can't can't deny any of that right and you know what stephanie you're bringing up a great point is that this has always been god's plan has always been to bring and hasten the kingdom on earth, hasten the return of Messiah. We can talk about that later, but, and as a partnership between the Jewish people and the people of the nations, this has always been his intent. And I'm just going to, um, you know, you mentioned when the, when this all started, the Gentiles, when they started coming into, well, of course it was Judaism then. All all Judaism is really messy in it because it just means you believe that there's a Messiah. But they started coming in and they were called Yirat Hashem, God-fearers. Most of them did not convert, though, you know, over time some did. That was the way it was before Yeshua and before Shaul had the revelation that the Gentiles don't need to to convert to in the legal conversion to Judaism. I have a whole teaching on that. But anyway, back to what I was saying is the whole idea is that this was always God's plan. The Jews just didn't quite get it or they forgot. I think it's more probably they forgot because of you know, all the, uh, the, the countries that tried to destroy them. And then finally the Romans and the persecution. So they became more isolated again. Well, Yeshua's coming and Rabbi Shaul being raised up from the road to, uh, to Damascus and being blinded and all of that. He, that's how the Gentiles started to get finally really taught. And if you think about this, this is just fulfilling what happened already in the Tanakh. Think about the partnership between Jethro and Moses. Jethro, of course, was Moses' father-in-law. He was from uh, Saudi Arabia. Midian was from Saudi. He was the high priest or the priest, I should say, Midian. So the Jewish partner and Gentile partnerships between Moses and his father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro heard secondhand what happened in Egypt. This is all in Exodus 18. And traveling from Midian, he approached Moses in the wilderness. He wanted to hear the story literally from the Jewish man. After hearing the story, the priest of Midian, Jethro, believed in the God of Israel. And this resulted in the birth of the 70 elders and an amazing ethical and moral judiciary system, which lasts to this day, mm. affecting most democratic nations of the world, including 
the United States of America. Then there's King Hiram and King Solomon. Hiram bought or sent the cedars of Lebanon and laborers and Gent Jews and Gentiles built the first Jewish temple in Jerusalem together. Ruth attached herself mm -hmm. to Naomi and then married Boaz and their partnership produced a son who was the great grandfather of King David. And this restored the messianic line mm -hmm. and made it possible for the Messiah to be born again. And that's a long story. There's, there was some, some things that happened that made that not possible until um, Perez was born. And then how about Esther in the house of the Persian king? The Jewish people ended yes. up being saved from extinction because of her, Esther, Mordecai, and uh, Esther's relationship with um, the, the Persian king. These stories are not just stories. They right. reveal to us the plan of God, Jew and Gentile partnership. Being one man. Yes. And, but here's the thing that a lot of people miss. It's a Jewish new man. It's a new humanity. Not that the Gentiles literally physically become Jewish. Right. But they, by taking, volunteering to take on the Torah, which Yeshua called the my yoke mm -hmm. and is also called the yoke of the kingdom by volunteering to take it on. They actually they're in a sense, taking on a Jewish identity without saying they're Jewish. That's like what I've done. Mm -hmm. I I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. And I'm staying a Gentile. I, the only way I would have ever converted. Well, anyway, that's another whole story, but it's, it has to be for a very special reason, like to keep your children halakhically Jewish. Okay. okay. If I had married Dan when I was much younger, we were both widowed and married later in life. But the whole idea is that we take on voluntarily a Jewish identity, doing Jewish things not saying we're Jewish, not replacing the Jewish people, but so they can see, well, wait a minute, these people, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles, they're doing our stuff. How come? And so they ask, and I'm telling you, they do ask. I've been asked many, many, many times. And I say, well, because my rabbi has taught me to do this. Well, who's your rabbi? Well, he's Yeshua of Nazareth. And they're like, what? Mm. And then I say, well, you know, sadly over history, and I explained that he's, you know, Ben looks like a Gentile, but he, if you give him another look, you'll see the prophet like Moses that was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, that God spoke to Moses and said he would raise up a prophet like him from among his brothers. So, you know, a lot of times nothing comes of it that I see. Right. But they are definitely provoked. And in fact, in the first building my husband and I lived in, we were the only ones that put up a sukkah. Now, mind you, here we are in Israel. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. The commandment is build a sukkah, build a, build a little hut, you know, and uh, have meals in it, you know, if it's big enough. And if it's really big enough, you could sleep in it. Well, ours wasn't big enough to do that. But we invited our neighbors 
The next year, two more neighbors built a sukkah. Mm. Wow. It does happen if you're not, you know, pushy and you speak their language and, you know, right. I don't mean Hebrew. I just mean things that they understand. Right. Right. And Beautiful. it, it, it happens. Mm-hmm. It happens even without trying. I mean, I was just doing my thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was just doing the thing that I've taken on uh, voluntarily with joy to do the things that Jewish people do. Mm-hmm. And I started that actually before I moved to Israel. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, I want to read this and we're really almost out of time, but I yeah. want to read okay. this. Yes. I had read this to you earlier and it's in my um, complete Jewish study Bible. And he just writes this and I'll just read it and um, we'll have to end here. But Paul's statement in these verses that in Messiah, there is neither Jew nor Gentile is often misunderstood and has led to replacement theology, the concept that the church has replaced the Jews as God's chosen people. So this theology insists that upon coming to faith in Messiah, the Jews cease to be Jewish. Therefore, distinctions between people must be eradicated. So distinctions between Jews and Gentiles must be eradicated and be both removed and renounced, especially Jewish ones such as circumcision, Torah observance, worshiping on Shabbat, or celebrating the Jewish holidays. Now, here's the key point. The Jewish community sees this as justification for rejecting the New Testament. Some believe that such a position fuels anti-Jewish sentiment, and thus the New Covenant scriptures become the basis for most anti-Semitism in the world. And that's very, very heavy that I think that we don't even realize that we're pushing the Jews away from the Messiah because we have turned him into an American. We have turned him into a Gentile. We have, and, and not, not by, I don't even think that it was, it was more out of ignorance, I believe, and wrong teaching, bad teaching that began you know, our church fathers began becoming anti-Semitic. Those people that we look up to to be our church fathers actually became anti-Semitic. Not all of them, but some who had power, some who had influence. And I just encourage people, whoever you are, whoever is listening, yes. to, again, have an open mind and do a little research. Do a little digging and let God, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Um, I had someone just yesterday contacted me over Facebook Messenger and said, Stephanie, can you teach me a little more about this? I really have been feeling like the Lord is telling me to go deeper, to look at these Jewish roots. And I was thrilled. It's like, Lord, just keep bringing us in. Keep, keep doing it. And I, I think it's a beautiful thing. So I so appreciate you and your love of people. I really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. I think you're doing a wonderful, wonderful thing. I was so thrilled when you contacted me and told me what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll help her however I can. So I want I want I hope people will, um, you know, you'll attract more and more and more people and that um because I think your style is very gentle as well. And um, 
you're still involved in the church and that that helps you know for people to feel comfortable too you know that you're not I don't like it when people badmouth the church I just don't like it we're here to tell the facts not condemn yes and again her website is blessisraelnetwork.com and you can find her there and you can find her on Facebook thank you so much I appreciate it oh thank you Stephanie Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at GraftedJewishRT. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.